We all want to have lives of significance and impact. We all want to live big in a way that matters and lasts. But when we look at our lives, we know that there is stuff about our lives, our culture, or our families that keeps getting in the way of that happening. But what if lasting change in any big area didn't take what you may have thought it took? What if lasting change didn't start with something big, but with something small? Hi, everyone. Glad to be back with you today. Um, I don't know what Alvin had for breakfast, but I think I want some of that. I don't know about you. Yeah. We are wrapping up our Live Big series today, and that means next week we're going to begin our look at the life of David, part two. We promised you we get back to you, so we're going to begin looking at one of the most beautiful passages in all the Bible, 2 Samuel 9. Uh, if you're new here and you'd like to get caught up to speed on where we've been and sort of what we've been doing with David's life, you can check out our website, all of that content is available there. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and turn our attention to the screens for our passage on which the teaching's based today. It's going to be from a sort of a bridge series here, or bridge messes, excuse me, First Chronicles chapter 29. Uh, you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Verse 10, David, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom you are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees, and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. And that's God's word today. So we are in the final week of our short series called Live Big, and each week during this series we've been asking you to do something small that if we all did it would add up to a big change in our lives and in our, our church and in our city. Uh, three weeks ago we asked you to consider giving each thirty nine ninety five to something outside the scope of our church, and together we did it. Uh, we gave to the Settlement Home for Children. It's a respected foster care facility, and we all gave and we raised twenty. 
$5,000, and we gave it away. Yeah, it was an amazing day if you were here. On one day, one time, we gave it away, something outside our budget and our walls and our church and all that, and that was amazing. And then two weeks ago, we asked you to consider serving specifically in family ministry here, and you know, with children or with youth, and so many of you responded, and ultimately, about 45 people committed to doing that, and that was amazing, and thank you for doing that. So again, three weeks ago, we asked you to give, two weeks ago, we asked you to serve, and took a break last week with Jim LaFoon here, but this morning, when we get to the end, I'm just going to ask you to pray. To pray, to pray one simple prayer that could change your life and and how you live. And to get there, I'm going to ask three questions of the passage that I hope will really aim our hearts at praying that prayer. And these questions have to do with, of all things, as you can see from the passage, our money and our financial life. To which you're saying, again, if you're new here, if you're a guest, if you walked in, you're saying, I knew it, you know, why me? I, I always, they always talk about money when I'm here, when I finally go to a church. You know. But remember, the same thing could be said about Jesus, right? I mean, he spoke more about money than any other one thing in his ministry. So, again, first of all, we don't always talk about it here, but when we do, and that's today, I think we're in pretty good company hope you could say amen to that. So we've circled around the topic here or there. We're going to focus on it today. And I hope that not only by the end will you consider praying one small prayer with me that could lead to a big change in your life, but I'm actually hoping and believing that you'll walk out thanking me for this message, especially as we're about to enter the Christmas season in America. You know, the most wonderful time of the year where it's always a December to remember at the luxury car dealership, right? It's the time of year where every kiss begins with K, right? Uh, And where every credit card statement begins to carry interest for the next six months. So to help you through not only this season, but also maybe for the rest of your life, to help you live big in the way that God intended for you, I want to ask and answer three questions from the passage about your financial life, all right? So here we go. Let's ask, look, number one, we're going to ask, what's our primary objective when it comes to money? Number two, how do we begin to live that out? And finally, what would our lives look like if we did? So here we go. Number one, let's ask, what is our primary objective when it comes to our money? All right. If you were to summarize your financial goals today, your financial goal, into one phrase, one sentence, if you were to to put it in a nutshell, if I ask you to to write it down on the back of that thing the Esther's handed you on the way in, what would it be? What would it look like? What would it say? If you could do it and you did it, what would it be? Well, I, I thought about it, and actually I made a potential list of things you could have possibly written down in that little fictional thing I said about three seconds ago. So here are some possible financial objectives that you might have, that people have. And here we go. Let's look at them. Here's a list. Here are some possible primary financial objectives. All right, number one, you could say, I just want to provide for my family. Now, if you were to put that, if you thought that, that's a great one. You're to be commended for being a responsible adult providing for your family. But if that's your only objective, right, if that's your highest objective, you could end up leaving out some important stuff. For example, I've met many people who are crazy concerned, maybe you've met them too, crazy concerned about taking care of their family and their kids and their grandkids and their great-great-grandkids and their great-great-great-great-great-grandkids maybe one day. 
but they don't want to give to anybody's anything ever. So they're doing great in one area, but they're really missing it in another. Or second, maybe you could say, Morgan, I never really thought about it before. No one's ever asked me that question. But really, though my family is important, my main objective is to, number two, make all the money I can. All right? And that's not necessarily a bad objective because you actually have to have some money in the first place to have a primary financial objective, right? But you know as well as I do that if that is what you focus on, on first, that's just going to leave out some important stuff too. If that's what you focus on first, for example, that's just going to cause you some real relational difficulties, right? Because if all you want to do is make money, you'll neglect your family, neglect your relationships, your friends. It may even drive you to make some unscrupulous business decisions, which will cost you in the end right? Well, number three, maybe your primary objective, you would say, is just, Morgan, I want to save all I can, right? Now, that's great. Maybe you, yes, you're here. You want to save every penny you can, and if that's you, then chances are you're not very much fun to live with. <laughs> oh, you just not. Listen, saving's important. It's an important part of having a real balanced, God-honoring financial life, but it's just one part, and you may be an incredible saver, but you may have difficulty sharing with others or giving towards stuff, and you can defend it by saying, you know, I'm just being careful, but you know, and your friends would just say, no, you're just kind of stingy, right? Or fourth, maybe if you're like many Americans, uh, if an alien from outer space were to come and just observe your personal financial habits over time, they would discover that your main objective, though you wouldn't call it this, so you would never write it down like this, they would discover that your main financial objective would be to just spend as much as you can. Why? Because you. They would just watch you spend, 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 spend all the way through, all through the year. Now, no one ever writes that down as a goal, right? No one would ever write down, my goal is just to spend as much as I possibly can. But listen, if you spend more than you make, if you spend more than you have, that means your main financial goal is not providing for your family, not trying to save all you can, not even trying to make all the money that you can. You're just spending. And though you never write it down like that, that's just what it's sort of been by default. And it's why you can, you know, walk into the, the athletic department store looking for a pair of socks and you walk out with a whole new set of golf clubs, right? Or maybe you walk into the, the, the big, you know, home goods material store looking for a can of paint or a bag of mulch, and you end up with a whole new refrigerator or a kitchen. You don't know what happened. Well, there's something inside you just driving you to spin, 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 spin. Or number five, maybe you just want to be, this could be a good one, maybe you just want to be financially free. That sounds nice. You say, Morgan, I just, I just want to be free, brother, to be free, you know? But what does that mean? Does that mean you, you just retire uh, at 38 and you live the next 50 years taking a vacation, right? Is being free for its own sake the best financial objective? Well, here's why. I believe it's not. Simply just wanting to be financially free, that's too narrow of a goal because there's no moral compass there. There's no spiritual compass, no north star by which you make your decisions. So on one hand, all these things, those five things, none of them are bad fundamentally bad unless they're put in the place of the ultimate financial objective. 
So, for the next few minutes, I want to, as best as I can, ask and answer what's the one thing, what's the, the grid through which all our financial decisions must, must pass, what's the north star on our financial compass? And I'm going to give you the answer, and when you hear this, although it's liberating, although it's incredibly freeing, at first you may be a little nervous, maybe a little nervous, but listen, relax, relax. God doesn't want your stuff, okay? He just doesn't want it, and here's why. His stuff is just way nicer than yours. You think you've got some nice, you know, floors. Listen, God's streets are made of gold. Anything you have is a downgrade for him, all right? And second of all, if he wanted your stuff, he could just take it. He could just take it, but he doesn't want it. Therefore, he gives it to you and leaves it in your hands for one reason, to allow you the choice to determine the kind of person that you're going to be, right? So we all get a choice about this, and unlike many tests, thankfully, God, on this one, he gives us the answer. He gives us the answer to eliminate the guesswork so that you can't say you didn't know. All right. So the answer, as we read, actually we already read it, it's in the book of First Chronicles. Now, if you're unfamiliar with it, First and Second Chronicles are really one book that was divided into two from one original scroll so that people could read it a little easier. Uh, it was written after the Jewish exile in Babylon to a group of God's people to show them God's amazing faithfulness to them despite their incredible unfaithfulness to him. And in the book, Israel's greatest King David, again, look at him in depth next week. uh, He is ruling. This story takes place about a thousand BC. And here's what's going on. David's at a place in his life uh, where he's defeated all his enemies, Uh, his little nation, Israel. It's united. It's prospered. He's the envy of the surrounding nations. In other words, David's made it. And he's made it in his business, in his life, in his career. One day he pauses to think about all that God's done for him, and it occurs to him. He says, here I am. I'm living in my nice house. I'm living in my palace. And the place where God dwells in our midst is not really being taken care of. So David, he looked over. He saw the Ark of the Covenant. Again, it was in this tent. Uh, It was inside what's called the Holy of Holies. And the Jewish priests would carry around this Ark wherever they went, and they would set up a tent around it. And David, now that he was king and he put his capital city in Jerusalem, they put up the big tent that kept the ark inside. And David realizes now, listen, I prioritized my palace, my house, but I haven't really properly prioritized God's place. So he says, I'm going to build God a temple. It's going to be the first permanent temple ever built to God, to Yahweh here on earth. And he begins to make the plans and the arrangements, but God comes to him and says, oh, Hang on a second, David. Wait. You can't do this for me. You're a man of war. You're a man of blood. There's too much blood on your hands. You're not the one to build it for me. Now, thankfully, David doesn't respond, maybe like some of us would. He doesn't say, well, hey, you know what? Thanks a lot, God. You know, I try to do something nice for you, and this is what I get. And by the way, God, you know, if I got blood on my hands, it's only because you told me to fight those battles, right? I was only defending your people, God, so what's the hang-up? No, he didn't respond like that. He says, God, I'll obey you. 
I'll obey you. And I'm going to set up my son Solomon for success. And David begins to draw up the plans. He begins to get the architects going. And then he begins to raise the money for it himself. And he goes into Israel's national treasury. He begins to pull out all this gold and all this money and sets it aside for the project. Then David goes into his own personal treasury, his own bank accounts, and he begins to bring out hundreds and hundreds of pounds of gold and silver. And all together, this total amount was, I think, valued at around $14 billion in today's modern currency. And with that $14 billion is there, David makes this announcement to, to all of Israel. He says, listen, God has given us this land. God has given us our nation. We're going to fund this massive project for God. And it's going to be so big, a lot of you aren't even going to be here when it's completed. And everyone was so excited by the vision he cast, and they gave so wholeheartedly. It's incredibly moving to read about it. And you can read it for yourself. And as a result of their offering, David prays this prayer in 1 Chronicles 29. And in David's prayer, we gain insight into his top primary financial objective. And it completely parallels what Jesus would teach almost a thousand years later. So with all that in mind, let's ask what ought to be our main financial objective. Let's see. We'll begin in verse 10. It says, David praised the Lord in the presence of a whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness. We read it, and the power, and the glory, (laughs) and the majesty, and in case you missed it, and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours, God. It's all your, the kingdom, wealth, and honor come from you. You're the ruler over it all. So he's saying, God, not only does it belong to you, right? It comes from you. He's saying, my wealth, right? My house, uh, the wealth of my country, my nation, it came from you, God. It belongs to you. And then he went on to say something that might have been hard for the people around him to hear. He goes on and says, God, in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, if you were someone who loved David, maybe had followed him up through his career and his rise as he came to power, you might have had a problem with this because you could have said, you know, David, hey, David, weren't you the one who fought your way through the battles? hmm? I mean, like, David, weren't you the one who killed Goliath? Hmm? David, wasn't it your wisdom that united the nation and made you king and made us prosperous? You worked really hard for this, David. And you're saying that God gave it all to you? David's saying, yes. He's saying, I did fight. But as I look back, I see that it was God doing it all along. He was the one giving to, giving to me. I can't begin to take credit for it. He says, because not only does everything belong to God, not only does it all come from God, he's saying it all is dispensed and given by God. And by the way, the same is true for you today. You today, your work ethic that you're really proud of, your tenacity, your drive, your excellence, your eye for creativity, whatever. Did you make that? No, you could have been born blind on a mountain in Tibet in the 12th century and we wouldn't even be having this conversation and not just for the reason that you'd be dead, right? 
it'd be a different thing altogether. Now, you're creative. God made that. Did you make your brain? No, God gave you that. He dispensed it. Not only did it belong to him, it came from him, and he gave it to you. And God says, listen, and David says, now our God, we give you thanks. Verse 13, we praise your glorious name. Who am I? Who are my people? We should be able to give as generously as this. He's saying, God, I'm humbled. I've even got something to give you at all. God, you own it all. I'm humbled I can even give back to you. He says, everything comes from you. We've given you only what comes from your hand. All right. So if this is true, and David is right, which he is, he's saying that everything comes from God, everything belongs to God, everything's given by God, therefore, what should be the one thing that drives all our financial decisions? Well, here it is, the one force, the thing that pulls it all together is this, and it's simply a heart posture. It's a heart posture, it's this, it's to honor God. That's it. To honor God. To honor God with everything. After all, isn't that what David's doing here, right? He's looking at God, then he's looking at what he has, at all his money, his stuff, his life, his nation, his family, and he's saying, God, I want to honor you with everything. God, help us to honor you. Help my son to honor you. Help our land to honor you. Help me to honor you, God. That's it. That's David's financial perspective. Now that sounds simple and conceptually it is, which is great. That's the good news, right? But for many of us, for millions of Americans, this is way harder to live out, which is why ourselves, our family, our savings account, our Home Depot or some other place ends up being our main financial objective by default. But right there, what you just saw on the screen, what you heard from front to back is what the Bible insists our primary financial objective ought to be. All right, so now you got it. That's the answer to question number one. What ought to be our financial, main financial objective? That's it, to honor God. Question two is then, well, then how do we begin to live that out? How do we start to do that? Well, I'm going to give you the answer, all right, and I'm going to start in a certain place. But hang in there because you think, you, you may think, uh, you know where I'm going with it, but you don't. All right. I was raised, maybe like some of you, in a church environment. And I was taught by my parents to tithe. Uh, and again, for all their ups and downs financially, they taught me to do that, thankfully. And I was glad for that. Now, the word tithe, you may know, it just means 10%, which means uh, when, you give, uh, when you get you know, a dollar, you give God a dime. Uh, when you, you make you know, $10, you give God a buck. When you make $100, you give God 10. When you get $1,000, you give God 100. And when you make $10,000, you go, whoa. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's a lot of money, man. I don't know about this, but really, it's dumb. It's not smart to be nervous about the 10000 or the 100000 or the million or whatever, but we get nervous because we think, this is my money, right? And so you're happy to give a dime or you're happy to give a dollar because you think, it won't really hurt me. I won't really feel it, right? And so I'll give it to the church because it won't hurt me. But anyway, I saw my parents, they did this on every paycheck, and despite their bad financial decisions over time, God provided for us in miraculous ways. His promises are bigger than our dumb financial decisions. And I didn't even become a Christian until I was in college. But on every paycheck, even when I was at the depth of my depravity, I did this every dollar on every job I ever worked. You say, Morgan, you know, were you being superstitious? Maybe. But was it smart? 
Absolutely, sure was. So I was raised to give God a percentage off the top. All right, but that's sort of where my thinking ended and unfortunately where it landed. So I started to think over time, all right, God, sure, I'll give you the 10%. Remember that 90%, it's mine. And whenever God would start to come to me and bug me about doing something with that other 90%, I would say, hey, man, back off. I gave you the 10%. I mean, how many people really even, I mean, do people do this? Do other people really give 10%? I mean, come on, how many people really do this? Here am I, I'm giving you the 10%. Quit bugging me about the other 90. But there is nothing in scripture that remotely hints at that being an acceptable place for your financial perspective to land in the end. That's not a place where someone who claims they honor God and love Jesus can maintain. Because listen, this isn't about giving. This is about living, right? An abundant life that God's got for you. And David's saying here, I'm not just going to honor God with 10%, right? I'm going to honor him with all of it, all of it. Let's say you came to me, right? You came to me and you said, Morgan, I'd like to go camping this weekend. Could I borrow your really fancy 2001 Toyota Sequoia, right? I want to go camping. You know, it's big. It's in the back. You can fold those seats down. uh, And it's great. You know, you can put all all your stuff in there, your camping gear, your tents, you know, your tackle, all all that you want. And let's say you took it camping uh, and, and you went off. And let me ask you, what percentage of my car do I expect you to take care of? Hmm? Am I thinking, well, they'll probably get it pretty dirty, right? Maybe take it through some, but that's okay because I'm sure they'll clean off the front 10% of the car and they'll give the other 90% back to me a mess. No, listen, this isn't about the car, right? Ultimately, how you take care of the thing I give you shows how much you honor our what? Our relationship, right? Our relationship. I don't expect you to take care of 10%. I expect you to take care of 100, right? The whole thing. Because none of it belongs to you. (laughs) It all belongs to me, right? And that's how God views your stuff. Not just 10% of it is his. It's all his. That's what David shows us. Listen, 14 years ago, again, as I'm standing there at the altar... And I'm praying, the, uh, excuse me, I'm making the vow to God and sort of to Dan, my father-in-law. Because you know, guys, when you go to the altar and you stand there, you're not just vowing to God, you're vowing to Dan as well, right? <laughs> Dan's listening too. And so I say, all right, I'm there at the altar. I say, God and Dan, I promise to take care of 10% of Carrie." For 10% of the year, I've done my duty, back off. Whoa. Now, how does that sound? It sounds pretty awful, right? It sounds pretty selfish, right? Because how I treat anything, again, shows what kind of relationship I have with that person, right? Let me ask, is Carrie mine or does she come from from someone else? No, she came from someone else. She's God's ultimately and God's first, right? Is that car you borrowed? Is it yours or someone else's? No, it's someone else's. So whose money do you have? Yours or someone else's? It's someone else's. First Chronicles says, it's someone else's. It's not yours, right? But you say, all right, I get it. It's not mine, Morgan, fine, you made a point. So what do I do? Where do I begin? And there's something in there about the 10% thing again, and there is. Again, throughout the, the Testaments, the whole Bible, God uses a baseline, 10% is a, for your giving. 
But listen, carries in my giving, and I know a number of your, yours is too, it's way above 10%. It's way above 10%. What we give to, the, the, it, stuff doesn't even show up on our year-end statement, and I know that's for some of you as well too. And sometimes we'll just blow out those nice recommended Dave Ramsey giving levels. We just will. Why? Because all of it's God's and not just a portion of it. And that's what King David understood. And that's why God called him a man after his own heart, right? Therefore, your objective, main objective, when it comes to giving, saving, buying, loaning, whatever. If you want to be a person after God's own heart, you've got to ask God, how do I honor you with everything? How do I honor you with it all? And if that strikes fear in your heart and you go, whoa, I don't know about that. I would ask you, why? Why? Why would you resist honoring God with everything if you're a Christian person, right? And you say, well, you know, if I honor God with it, if I give it to him, he's just going to take it. Listen, God, again, he doesn't want your stuff. He just doesn't want your stuff to get you. I want your stuff to get you. And here's how I know this. Think about the central message of the Bible. What is it? It's for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only son. It doesn't say for God so wanted to take something from you that he sent his only son to hold you at spiritual gunpoint so that heaven's light bill could get paid. Oh, wasn't, man, we're having trouble paying the rent in heaven. Got to send my son to earth. The brow beat him into giving to me. No, it's not it at all. It's ridiculous. But for many of us, anytime you hear anything, God and money, you get so nervous because your stuff and your money has a grip on your heart. Listen, I love my kids. I never want to take stuff from my kids. I only want to give to them. But the only reason I would ever ask them to give me something in the first place is if I believed I had something better for them on the back end. And so what I'm asking them to do is trust me and trust their father's heart. Which is why when you finally decide that you're going to go beyond just throwing a few dollars at God or at a charity and you're just trying to get God off your back and you finally say, God, you can have all of it. There's such a freedom that comes. Such a freedom that comes. You won't even have space in your heart for all of it. Listen, do you want to experience joy like you've never known? Then say, God, it's all yours. Believe Jesus' words. It is more blessed. You'll be happier to give than to receive, right? And if you've already entrusted him, think about it, with your eternal soul, why in the world would you have trouble trusting him with some money or some stuff, right? I mean, if you've already entrusted him with the most important thing in your life, if you're a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, not for you, don't have to obey, you're listening in, and you know it's just, man, it's free time for you here. If you've already trusted him with the most important thing in your life, why would you resist trusting him with something way further down the line? And the answer is, a person only has trouble trusting God with the less important thing when that less important thing has become the most important thing. Can you see? So you say, all right, Morgan, I get it. Come on. I mean, finally, give me a law. Quit pressing me like a parameter or something. All right. Well, I don't know exactly what to tell you, but I, do, I can tell you, excuse me, where to begin. And again, it's by praying 
this simple prayer. And here's the prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray in a few minutes. God, show me how to honor you with everything you've given me. That's it. Pretty simple, right? Simple and heartfelt. And that's how you begin to have a new overarching financial principle for your life. In a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to consider praying that. But before we get there, I want to ask and try to answer a final question because I'm sure some of you are just real nervous about praying that if you've never prayed it before. So let's ask finally, what would our lives look like if we did that? All right. Now, let me just say this. In response to your prayer, you're going to pray in a minute. You'll never hear something back from God outside the parameters of his word. For example, if you came back to me and said, Morgan, man, that prayer was the greatest thing I ever prayed. Are you kidding me? God told me to stop giving, stop saving, and just go to Hawaii every month for the rest of my life and put it on the credit cards, baby. No, I'd say you may just have to repray that one. Let's try again, all right? But if you do pray it, here's what just may happen. Some of you, God may speak to you and say, you know what, son, daughter, you need to give more. You do need to give. You're great at saving, but you're not really honoring me. That's an issue in your life, and it's not going to go away. And it's actually preventing me from taking care of you and your family like you want. Or some of you may hear, you are great at being generous, you're great at giving, but you're not saving enough. You're not thinking about your future. That doesn't honor me. That's not responsible. All right. Or some of you may hear, you need to spend less, right? Some of you may think, well, man, I can afford it. But listen, is just the, the idea that you can afford something a great financial goal, right? I mean, what does that have to do with honoring God? You can afford, you know, six iPhones and 17 iPads and eight cars, but what good is all that going toward in the end? Or some of you, he may speak to you about that really cool collection. Ooh, you've researched for years, man. No one can touch that thing, which tells me you love that thing more than people around you, but that's another story. God may say that's got to go. You say, well, God, are you against collections? No, 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 no. But for you, son, maybe. For you, daughter, maybe. Now, if you hear that, if you're freaking out on the inside, just relax and think along with me. It's just a matter of time before it goes to someone else anyway. So how can I honor God with it today? Listen, some of you, listen, your lives may change right now because mine did when I prayed this prayer years ago because I didn't realize maybe some of you men do this. Maybe some of you are just controlling your wife with money. You give them some sort of allowance kind of thing. You're thinking, I'm being responsible. No, you're trying to control her. Manipulate her maybe. Some of you ladies, some of you men, maybe shopping's just this national pastime for you. You go online, maybe you look for hours looking at, for something you don't even know if you need it or not. And if you took all the time you spent throughout all the, all the hours you spent looking online for something you don't even know if you need, maybe you may come to the conclusion, my time could be better spent doing something else. So I want to challenge you to ask the question King David gave us the answer to. Here it is. God Because it all comes from you, because it all belongs to you, and all of it's been given by you, how can I honor you with it all? I don't know where this is going to land for you. There's a whole host of areas it could land. If you've made your will out, have you honored God with it? 
or just your kids. So I dare you. Listen, pray the prayer that could absolutely change your life. And if you don't think God will answer you on this one, you haven't read the Bible. He will, I promise. But here's the catch with all of this. Okay, now you're saying, aha, I knew there was a catch. Here's the catch. You've got to come to a place in your life where you're willing to surrender it all to him. Not to the church, and good Lord, not to me. I don't want the responsibility of deciding for you what to do with your money. If God wanted me to make decisions about your money, he would have given it to me, but he didn't. He gave it to you so you could make the decision about how to honor him. He could see where your heart is. So if you want to honor him with it all, you have to surrender it all in the first place. Have you ever done that? You ever said, God, I make it all, all of it available to you. Can you do this? Listen, God, he's got no personal interest in your money. He's not struggling to pay the bills. But he does have an interest in your heart, in your heart. You think he's going to do something to you, but that's only because you don't know him. Oh, when you look at him and you remember that God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you, when you could give him nothing, that he loved you, when you weren't even loving him back, when you see that and you remember that all things come from him, it all belongs to him, including, oh, he gave you the salvation of your soul from your sin by your Savior. When you remember that, you can remember God only wants my best. I can trust him with all of it. So I'd like you to take, we're going to take the next few minutes just to reflect on this. Maybe a moment here to pray with your spouse or think about this. Because at a certain level, time's short for all of this, for all of us, isn't it? Because when you die, someone's going to take what you have. Ecclesiastes says this, is going to take what you have and God's going to see if they can honor him with it. And then that person's going to die. And God's going to see if they can honor him with it. None of it goes. God doesn't want any of it. He doesn't take any of it. It all stays here. But he is interested in seeing where your heart is toward him. So would you be willing today, uh, if you're, whether you're in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s, maybe you're a newly married couple, maybe you're single, maybe you're 60, you're thinking, man, I wish I would have heard this a long time ago. Would you look in your heart? Look in your spouse's eye and say, God... Am I honoring you? Am I willing to honor you with everything? And listen, this has got nothing to do with me, nothing to do with this church. I'm fine. We're fine. And if you don't mm, trust anybody here, great. Don't give here. I mean, don't give a dime here. Really, please don't. All right? This isn't about trusting me or trusting a church. This is about trusting God. God with whatever he's given you in the first place. This is about seeing his great love for you in Jesus, then having the courage, having the courage to obey what you hear. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together, and we'll take a few minutes here. Our band's going to come up and play, take a few moments to reflect, and we'll come back together and close. Let me pray for you. Oh, Father, wherever we are today, will you give us the courage to do what we need to do? And for those of us who don't know what to do, would you give us the courage just to begin? Lord, for those of us who can't even just save anything because of where we are, Lord, I pray that they would just save something. 
Just save something. For those of us who have no system for giving, no way to be generous, Lord, I pray they would just begin to do it. Lord, for those of us who are here wrestling, drowning in credit card debt, would you provide financially, Lord, in miracle ways that they would, they would even decide they're not going to live that way anymore. People would decide they're, they're sick of being slaves to companies and people who don't even know them or care about them. Lord, your heart is so big for us in this area. Lord, I pray that our, this church full of people who, who say that they love you and that they know you, that we would be an example, we'd set a new standard and we'd live a different way, that the, the city would be in awe of how we handle this really tricky area. And ultimately through that, people would be drawn into a relationship with you. They'd see our good deeds, glorify our Father in heaven. Please have your way in our lives this moment in Jesus' name. Amen.